Isaiah chapter 9. We finished up our study here in the book of Acts a couple weeks ago, so we took a little bit of break from our studies through uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible, to do some Christmas messages here as we lead up to Christmas. So if you weren't with us last week, we did a verse on Genesis 3.15, which is a very unlikely Christmas verse, but it's actually the first Christmas verse in the Bible. That idea of how Christ would come and bruise the head of the enemy, but the enemy would bite his heel, it's a prophecy towards Christ on the cross. And that's the purpose of Christmas, and that's what we tried to talk about last week. Christmas is really the process that took 4,000 years to bring Jesus to the cross. Yes, we celebrate him born in the manger. Yes, we celebrate the Christmas meaning here of Mary and the virgin birth, etc. But the purpose for that happening was really to bring a Savior into the world to take care of our sin. So that's what we talked about last week. So this week, we're going to kind of go a little bit more normal, if you will. This is your typical Christmas verse, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's a pretty famous Christmas verse. So before I came into church, I checked the cards that we get when we get a Christmas card at home. We put them up on the window, up on the door, and that way we can look at them. And I checked, and this was the most quoted Christmas verse, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Now, we know this verse. I don't think this verse is probably too unfamiliar to most of you. But do we really know the context of it? One of the things that we really like to teach out here is when you read a passage, you also want to know what it says before it and after to get the full context of it. So here's this Christmas verse thrown in the middle of Isaiah chapter 9. But what's the context of it? What's the background? Jump back to verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and the Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, what in the world does that mean? You know, that's not a Christmas verse. So how can we have a Christmas verse in verses 6 through 7, but we have that verse there where they're name-dropping Zebulon and Naphtali and this idea of the sea beyond the Jordan. What, what's going on here? A little bit of background. My New King James says this. It uses words like gloom, distressed, oppressed. Good old King James was out there. Yours says dimness, vexation, grievously afflicted. New Living Translation probably says it just the most straightforward. It says this. Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair. That's what was going on. So in Isaiah chapter 9, when Isaiah is giving us this great passage on the Messiah coming and what it means and represents... The background, it's a time of great despair. I won't go into all the details, but basically what happens, the northern tribes, Zebulon and Naphtali, were about to be destroyed by a country by the name of Syria. So Assyria is over them, and in just a few years, it's going to totally destroy the northern tribes of Israel. So the passage of this great Christmas verse is really given in a time of gloom, despair, oppression, affliction. It's a tough time, a very tough time. That's the background of this. So, what's the next passage? Now that we have understand the times, a dark, oppressed, dark time, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in the land of the shadow of death, upon them is light to shine. So in this time of darkness, verse 2 says there's a light that comes. And that light is coming to bring hope. And that hope that comes is actually Christmas. It's Christ. And before you think of making too far of a stretch... If you're a note taker, write this down. Matthew 4, verses 15 through 16. 
Matthew 4, verses 15 through 16, those exact same passages are quoted in the context of Jesus' ministry in this area. So really, these passages are a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And Matthew 4, Matthew ties this passage in Isaiah 9 to Jesus' ministry in Matthew 4 and says Christ is bringing a light into a dark world. So our first point is it's dark, it's grim, it's oppressing, it's afflicting. And that probably describes some of you right now. It's a dark time. The light comes in. That's a picture of Jesus. What's our response to that? Verse 3. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Did you catch the repetition? Verse 3, joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice. In this time of darkness, the light has come, so therefore our response is joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice. It's amazing. This season of Christmas is supposed to be This amazing time of joy and happiness. But for a lot of people, it's a time of discouragement, dare we say depression. They don't have anybody significant to celebrate Christmas with. Maybe they've lost a loved one this year, so there really is just a hole of sadness. It doesn't feel real joy and real rejoicing right now. Here's the problem. Too often in this world we live in, we base our joy on circumstances and not the Savior. Your Christmas season is a season of joy because Christ came and died on the cross for your sins. Your Christmas season is not based on gifts or days off or holidays or decorations, none of that. It's based on your Messiah came down to die on the cross for your sins. That's why we can have joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice. If you're basing the holiday season on what you get or what you get off from work or what's going to happen, you're always going to walk away a bit disappointed. Because it's not about that. Do you remember the time when Christmas flipped in your mind? When it went from, as you used to look at it as a kid, that was just about the Christmas list and the gifts and the trees, when it finally flipped to something bigger than that? Where you realize it's really not about the presents, it's not about that type of stuff, it's something deeper. Do you remember that flipped in your mind? I remember distinctly when that flipped in my mind. It was about a year ago. I finally (laughs) grew up to the point of realizing, okay, it's more than the, the Christmas gifts. But do you remember back to being a kid? Oh, I remember back being a kid distinctly. This idea of just the gifts and looking at everything under the tree. And your whole focus on was the gift. I remember one year, the only thing I wanted, and I wanted it so bad, was just some hockey sticks. That's all I wanted was hockey sticks. I remember that. And I remember I was over at my Grandma Kiefer's Christmas. And my Grandma Kiefer's Christmas is, you know, this big Christmas. And you walk in and all the presents are under the tree. And so you'd walk in and see all these gifts under the tree. And my family always had the audacity to eat first, open gifts second. That's an awful thing to do to a kid. And so you would walk by the presents, and you weren't allowed to touch them. But you'd walk by slowly and look down, and you'd try to see your name. You know what I mean? Well, I wanted hockey sticks. I'm not real smart, but I'm not dumb. Hockey sticks, you can't wrap them differently. They look like a hockey stick, you know? They're they're long. it's, It's a hockey stick. So I'm... I'm looking at the stuff. There's no hockey sticks under that tree. There's none. So we get done opening the gifts, and there's that that area of disappointment, and there's that area of, you know, it just didn't happen. And then my Aunt Nora came and gave me a sticky note. And the sticky note says that we must reconvene, reconvene by the car. So she went out. We went out to the car. She opens up the trunk, and there's the hockey sticks, you know? And that, once again, was just last year. And... (laughs) But if you would have asked me what was my favorite gift growing up as a kid, it was the hockey sticks. 
But it's kind of funny. As time goes on and you start seeing the deeper meaning of Christmas, it starts changing a little bit. And if you come up to me now and say, what is your favorite Christmas gift you ever got? My favorite Christmas gift I ever got is actually in my office. If you go into my office out here at church, you'll see it. It's, it's a Christmas tree. And it's about yay big. That's all it is. It's about yay big. And it's just completely decked out with lights. It's completely decked out with ornaments, etc. And the reason that gift means so much to me is because it's something that my wife gave me. Now, I've joked about this before, and so I'll just kind of share it with you real quick. My wife has never really been a big fan of Christmas trees because she's always thinking the Christmas trees distract from the real meaning of Christmas. I love Christmas trees. Love them. The more lights, the more ornaments, the more gaudy, the better. I just love Christmas trees. So we made this compromise where my dad made a a manger. And so we have a manger in our living room to represent Christ. Well, the compromise was this. So we have this beautiful manger that represents Jesus, decorated with lights and ornaments and all that other type of stuff. (laughs) So in the midst of this, I'm missing my Christmas tree. And I didn't have a problem telling her every day that I was missing my Christmas tree. She went out and got me that little foot-tall Christmas tree. And I tell you, it was a blessing, and I have that up in my office, and it's always a fun thing to come in and plug that in, and I love what that means and represents. My point is this. If you go into Christmas with the wrong mindset, a worldly mindset, and maybe not even a worldly mindset, but a selfish mindset, oh, man, you're going to walk away disappointed because Christmas is solely about you had a sin problem, I had a sin problem, and Jesus had to come down and clean up our mess. That's what Christmas is about. And that's what we talked about last week. Christmas is a God cleaning up the mess that we created when we brought sin into the world 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden. It is a dark, depressing time right now. Verse 1. Verse 2, we need a light. Jesus. Verse 3, our response is joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice. Verse 4, for you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. We rejoice that the burden is gone. Look at that verse 4 one more time. You have broken the yoke of his burden. The burden during Christmas has been lifted. And the most pressing burden we had is sin. So that burden has been taken off of us. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, is because this burden of sin has been lifted. Jesus said this about his ministry and taking off burdens. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what we're here to celebrate. The burden is lifted. Sin has been taken care of. And then even now that sin's been taken care of, the other burdens of life are lifted. So often we look at these problems that we face in this world and we say those are just overwhelming. Compared to sin and eternity in hell, nothing in this world is overwhelming. Everything our Savior can take care of. He can lift the burden you're facing right now. He can take care of the oppressor right now. Now, it may not happen the way you want. It may not happen when you want. It may not happen as quick as what you want. But Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promised us that. And Christmas shows us it took 4,000 years from the Garden of Eden to Bethlehem, but it took 4,000 years, and Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and he took care of it. So back to Isaiah 9, continuing our study here, verse 5. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. What is that verse saying? Saying the battle is over. See, the sandals, the garments rolled in blood, ah, burn them, we don't need them anymore. The war is over. See, the battle has been won, and it's over. See, as soon as the tomb was empty on Easter, 
We're just waiting for the victory parade. It's over. But yet we still walk around in this defeatist mentality like, oh, I hope we pull this thing out in the end. No. Isaiah 9 verse 5 is saying, go ahead and throw away the bloodstained clothes. We don't need them anymore. The battle is over. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel like the battle is over, does it? Oh, sometimes it's still a fight. I'm a student of history. I love reading history. And I was reading an article about World War II the other day. And the author made a comment that when I first read it, I thought, I don't know if I agree with this, but then I reread it and I tried to understand his point, And I understand what he's saying. He's saying World War II, the battle against Germany, he goes, was really won on D-Day. When the Allies got a foothold in France, the battle was won. Now it was just moving across Thousands of soldiers still lost their lives from that time in June to the war ended the next year. But he's saying the point was it was won at that time. They got the foothold, and now they needed just to go across. Yes, there were huge engagements, the Battle of the Bulge, etc. But he says from a strategic standpoint, the battle was won. We as Christians, as soon as that tomb was empty on Easter, from a strategic standpoint, the battle's won. It's over. It's, it's completely done. Yes, they're still fighting. Yes, there's still battles. But it's won. So put this all together now. Isaiah 9, verse 1. It's gloomy, distressing, oppressing, dimness, vexation, grievously afflicted. It's a tough time right now. Verse 2, the light comes in. Matthew says that's a picture of Jesus. Verse 3, our response is joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice. Verse 4, our burdens are gone. Verse 5, the battle is over. And why is all this true? Because of verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. See, now we see the context of that verse. Now we see why we celebrate. See, a child is born. That speaks of his humanity. Son is given. That speaks of his deity. So we have a man that is God that is given to us. And don't ever forget verse 6. For unto us. It's personal. He did this for you. It's been said in so many ways and so many styles. That Jesus died on the cross for you personally. Personally, he even died for the people that didn't want him to die for him. The people that were going to reject him, he still said, I will die for you. You just have to choose to accept this. And that's the point of Christmas, is this idea of a Savior giving his life for us, for unto us. And I tell you, when you reach that dark time of life and you've convinced yourself that no one cares, no one understands, and what's the point? Remember Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. He did it for you. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a description. The government will be upon his shoulder. He will lead us. His leadership will be an everlasting leadership. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Once Jesus comes back to rule and reign, he will rule and reign forever. That's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the Wonderful Counselor the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We're celebrating the never-ending reign of Him when He returns. And Christmas, ah, Christmas shows us that in the time of darkness, the light can come, we can rejoice, our burdens are lifted, the battle is over, and praise be to God. What I want to close with is this. Can you go to 1 John 4, please, if you've got your Bibles with you, 1 John 4. First John 4 sums this whole point up pretty nicely. Once again, it's not your typical Christmas verse, but as you read it, I'm not sure a picture of Christmas. First John 4, 
start in verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is just a fancy word that means appeasement. He took care of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Real quick, this is Christmas. Verse 9, the action. God sent His only begotten Son into the world. That's the action. The reason, verse 10, that He could take care of our sins. Verse 11 is our reaction to that. This sums everything up. Verse 9 is the action. God sent His Son into the world. Christmas. That's what we're here to celebrate. Why? Verse 10, to take care of our sins. Verse 11, what's our reaction? If God so loved us, we also to love one another. That's our reaction to what Christ did. Is that He loved us so much. He forgave us so much then why wouldn't we do the same to others? It amazes me when I see a Christian that has tasted the love, grace, and mercy of Christ, but yet they still hold unforgiveness and bitterness towards somebody else. When Jesus has so freely forgiven us, why do we hold that back? Why do we not respond in love? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the goal. These verses sum it up amazingly. God loved us. He took care of our sins. And now let's take that love that we have learned from the Lord and go out this holiday season and show the love of Jesus to all we run into and all that we do and all that we say. Marv, if you can come forward here for the final song. Marv's going to close you out with the final song and then we're going to let you go. I just want to let everybody know thank you for coming today. Thank you for coming and being a part of this. And the kids did an amazing job. So, God's blessings on you. Just a couple quick reminders. Don't forget, last Sunday, to sign up for the angel tree. Those sheets are available back there um, by the uh, missionary boards in the foyer. And also, don't forget to sign up for the church cancellation if that's something you want to get involved with. You guys have a good week. God bless. And uh, we'll be back there to shake your hands in just a little bit. Marv, it's all yours.